0: Well, I do want to say, first of all, how good it is to be uh, (coughs) back. I want to thank you for your uh, prayers for uh, me while I've been away and for the family. And I have to say, whenever I am away from Magdalen Road, I miss it. Uh, Judy and I um, very much feel that you are our spiritual family. You are are, are precious to us. And it is like being away from family when I'm away. But I am grateful that you let me have a little bit of time... um, a way that that's become, starting to become a rhythm because uh, I've found it's enormously beneficial to me um, in enabling me to serve you better. And I think the church um, has um, learned over the years as well that it is beneficial overall for the church. So I'm extremely grateful for your, your, your um, willingness to invest in me and in our life together in, the, in that way. Let me just tell you very briefly A little bit about my sabbatical. I'm sure I'll say more on other occasions. Um, It had three main elements in in my mind. Um, I spent quite a lot of time trying to understand some of the particular practical challenges that we have as we grow. Looking across the scattered numbers of us here this morning, it's slightly hard to believe that we're growing. But um, um, uh, the truth is that year on year we have been getting bigger as, as a church and uh, year on year the challenges of uh, maintaining a healthy church life grow or at least change and there are adjustments that we've already had to start making and I think we will continue to have to to make in order for us each to feel um, uh, that, that our life in the church is Healthy. It's not going to be earth-shattering. Shak- earth I'm not going to say any more about it um, uh, this morning. And um, much of it will be uh, to, to do with um, how the leaders work together as much as anything else. But uh, I did some thinking about that as, uh, on my sabbatical. The second element of my sabbatical was just pure personal spiritual refreshment. Reading my Bible at length without the deadline of a sermon. Particularly reading nourishing uh, Christian books. And uh, in many ways, uh, you'll, you'll know, I, we had a trip to Turkey to visit some missionaries there, um, to visit the Emirates and the team that they work with. That was, uh, for me, I think, I hope I nourished them a little bit. It was very nourishing for me as well. And then the third element of my time away was some more serious, sustained studying of the Bible. And particularly... Um, for me, um, it ended up being um, uh, working quite hard on trying to get uh, a deeper understanding on how the whole Bible fits together, what the whole message of the Bible is. And I think God, God um, helped me in, in that. So those were the three elements, of uh, the three main elements of, of my sabbatical. I, I've come back with uh, a clear conviction that I want to uh, uh, begin sharing with you uh, this morning. I believe it's the right moment for us as a church to begin self-consciously renewing our vision. Um, We have a a vision statement. It was developed more than a decade ago and uh, in the early years of its life it served the church well. You'll find it on the website. But uh, in recent years it's been... uh, frankly rather neglected and I think it will help us enormously um, if we renew our vision at this moment to build on all that God has taught us for the last uh, decade or so and uh, setting a course for the future. So I spent time on my sabbatical um, thinking about that, praying about that, um, searching scripture about that. And then uh, we had our elders retreat just recently and we spent uh, virtually the whole day together trying to formulate a brief statement which tries to encapsulate the conviction that we have uh, of where the Lord is leading us um, in the future. Um, We um, put it under the title of uh, why we are here, actually. There's a fuller statement um, that we uh, worked on on that day that will go up on the website and we'll be looking at um, um, uh, this short statement I'll show you in a minute and a longer one and much more in in the autumn. But this week and next week we're just going to try to understand the short statement that we have distilled out of why we are here, why we believe God has brought us together and particularly I want to show you why that is deeply rooted in Scripture. It's my hope that it will help us to clarify our thinking and our unity as we move forward as a church. So here's the statement that we want to present to you that answers the question why we are here. We believe that God has brought us together to delight in him, displaying the glory of Jesus in the power of the Spirit through word, service and community to the peoples of East Oxford and the world. Now there's an enormous amount in that. I'm sure you've already noticed uh, numbers of things that you want to uh, think about or to understand uh, a little bit more Um, deeply and we are going to spend time, um, to be honest, probably over the whole year in little bits, um, uh, in little chunks, um, unpacking that and uh, seeking the Lord uh, about that vision. But um, (coughs) there's one element of that vision that I wanted to chew on together this morning as we uh, begin to start thinking about that uh, statement of why we are here. It's um, a uh, simple element, delighting in God. We were made to delight in God. That's at the beginning of our vision statement. We believe. God has brought us together to delight in Him. I want to say to you this morning, all other pleasures, if we try to enjoy them without God, they fade, they become distorted, they become tarnished, and they do not last. (coughs) But if our deepest delight is in God, then we have everlasting treasure, everlasting joy. Actually the other pleasures come back to us in their rightful place so that we can enjoy them as they were meant to be. Because over all of them and covering all of them and qualifying all of them is a delight in God. To know God is to delight in him. To know God is to discover infinite perfection. What the, what, what the Bible calls holiness. When Isaiah saw God, the angels thundered a message in Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. To know God is to discover his perfect and goodness. The apostle, the and John puts it in the language of light that we've already been looking at. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. To know God is actually to discover God's infinite happiness. The Apostle Paul describes uh, Jesus uh, at one point in one Timothy one eleven as the as the happy God. Or Jesus himself, when he was speaking about um, his servants being welcomed into the home of God. The welcome was, come and share in your Master's happiness. To know God, to enjoy Him uh, intimately, is to find that in our hearts there is a relationship with God that makes us cry out from the very depths of our being, Abba, Father, says the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. There is nothing better, there is nothing greater to do with our lives and to know God and therefore to delight in Him. No wonder Israel's King David said, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. It is no wonder Moses, after he had seen many wonderful things, including God delivering uh, the the, the Israelites from Egypt, still wanted one more thing. He went up to God and he said, Now show me your glory. It's No wonder the Apostle Paul, actually after recounting in Philippians chapter 3, all sorts of wonderful privileges that he had, He said this, he he said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider the rubbish that I may gain Christ. To know God as he is revealed in Jesus is our greatest joy, our greatest pleasure, our greatest privilege, our greatest delight. And it is the deepest tragedy that people don't see that. We think um, God is calling us to give up joy and pleasure for duty, discipline and self-denial, but he is not. He is calling us to give up being obsessed with lesser delights Sometimes that will involve denying ourselves those lesser delights. But in order that we can enjoy the greater one. C.S. Lewis once wrote in an article um, entitled The Weight of Glory, he said, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like ignorant an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what he's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We were made to delight in God. Everywhere from beginning to end in Scripture. God calls us to delight in him because it is our greatest purpose, our greatest fulfilment, our greatest joy. And Isaiah chapter 60 here tells us that uh, the day of delighting has dawned. The great uh, message of um, uh, the New Testament that Isaiah 60 here looks forward to. Arise, shine, your light has come, the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Darkness covers the earth, thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord rises upon you. His glory appears over you. In order to understand Isaiah 60, we need to understand the context. Isaiah was writing to the Israelites who actually themselves felt very far from God. They had been exiled to Babylon, losing their land, which was bad enough, but crucially they had lost their temple. The temple was the place where they met with God. It was the symbol of God's presence amongst them. It was their greatest delight. And now they could not get to it. It was destroyed. They felt adrift. They felt far from God. For them, it was like losing the sun. But here is a dawn, says Isaiah to those people. I see a dawn. I see that your light has come. I see the glory of the Lord rising on you. I see his glory appearing over you. Most of you know I get up early and um, (coughs) for the last few weeks I've been walking the um, uh, dog for a short walk before Oxford uh, wakes up. As the sun rises. And the light and warmth of the sun at dawn, at that time of day, is very special, you know. I defy anyone not to feel a glimmer of delight when the morning sun splashes on their face. Soon the um, uh, dew will be dried up, soon those wisps of mist will melt away. Soon the sun will be shining. Even on a summer like this, there have been many days like that. And the feeling that you have, watching the sun go up, come up, is what Isaiah wants to evoke for us as we think of God. As in a solitary middle-aged chap walking his dog the light of the early morning sun and turning his face to it and thinking that is wonderful. And you have something what Isaiah wants us to feel. Isaiah foresaw actually what Israel as a nation never did properly see. Because Isaiah was looking forward to Jesus. The light of the world. Luke records that John the Baptist's father described Jesus as the rising sun coming to us from heaven. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus born, says the Bible, it's as if the sun Rose, As if finally we could see God. As if finally we could enjoy God. Finally we could find God's warmth, God's beauty, God's awesomeness, God's glory. The Lord rises upon you, says Isaiah. And the Bible says something else too. He says that the, the, the sun rises in our hearts personally, when we hear and trust the good news about Jesus. That Jesus died for our forgiveness. So that now actually we can come to God Without fear of judgment, we can bask in his light without the terror that we will be burned up by it because of our sin. Now we can see God's glory and run to him, not from him. The Apostle Paul puts it in this way. God who said let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. He's made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is what God has done in, in giving us Jesus, in giving us the good news about him. That is what Isaiah looked forward to. Your light has come So, if the day of delighting in God has dawned, says the Bible, and if we were made to delight in God, says the Bible, then surely our first duty as Christians is to delight in God. That is what we need to see. That is what we need to grasp. There are many things, I'm sure, for us to do over the next uh, few, few years. I haven't got much in my mind, I have to say. But those things are not our first duty. Jesus put it very clearly. The first and greatest commandment, he said, is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. To love God is to have an attitude of heart towards him. An attitude of heart that delights in him. And the first and greatest commandment, says Jesus, is to let that attitude of heart fill everything that you are. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Let it all be absorbed in delighting in God. Now I know there will be a variety of responses to that. There may be some even here who say, to be honest, I've never truly delighted in God. You may have been a dutiful, obedient servant. You may have attended church, perhaps for many years. You may have many Christian friends. You may have an orthodox set of beliefs. But all of of those, says the Bible, are nothing without this love for God, without this delight in God. If you have never felt that love for God rising in your heart, if you have never seen the glory and the beauty of God in such a way that you say, I want God more than anything else, then you have not experienced Christianity as the New Testament describes it. It may be that you are a believer, but you haven't just yet found the full riches of what it means to be a Christian. It may, frankly, be that you are not yet converted. What I want to say to you is seek God. Do not be satisfied with anything lesser. Do not be satisfied with simple duty, with simple obedience, with simple orthodoxy, with simply the routines that make you look like you're a Christian. You may have deceived everybody else, but you have not deceived God. Seek Him. Ask him to change your heart. Because without that change of heart, which only he can do, nothing else will be of any worth to you. It may be that there are a significant number of people here perhaps who say to themselves, well it's all very well for him to talk like that but he hasn't had the knocks that I have. He hasn't had the disappointments. He hasn't had the trials that I have. How can I really delight in God when he's, when he's dealt me such a bad hand in life? Perhaps uh, you've been disappointed in relationships. Perhaps you've been struggling with a difficult marriage or perhaps you're not married. Perhaps you're feeling betrayed by someone. Perhaps your health is failing. Perhaps it is some inner turmoil that you have that no one else can see. And you say to yourself, well, I just can't. Delight in God, unless he sorts that out i 'll come to him and uh, uh, and seek him and love him if he just sorts that one thing out in my life the apostle paul's answer to that is very stark he says in 1 corinthians fifteen verse nineteen if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If your hope in God is for healing, or for a fantasy marriage, or for a turmoil-free life, and it is only for that, or that eclipses all other things. Paul says they are to be pitied. Because there is no promise in Scripture that in this life he will sort those things out. or not in the way that we ask him to, anyway. Now, the promise <laughs> that we have is that God can give us a joy in Him that will relativise those sufferings, that will uh, mean that we are not first and foremost sufferers, we are first and foremost creatures who are destined for glory. Our relationship with God is actually our handle on eternity, where He does promise all of those things. Where he does promise, actually for us, a resurrection body which will not fail, which will not be struggling with infirmity. Where he does promise unutterable joy which will not be alloyed by any of the problems of this world. Where he does promise relationships which are without sin and where, in fact, People learn to love each other in such a way that their love for each other continually increases because as we love the others and then they give back that love and then we return that love. The love amongst God's people increases forever and there is nothing ever to put a block on that wonderful infinite process that continues forever. Our hope is resurrection hope. Our hope is eternal hope. Our joy in God is joy that he has given us eternal life. And we have begun to see him now. Like a person seeing the first rays of the dawn. And one day we will see him glowing in all his splendour like the noonday sun. But now we all have to walk. Every one of us, in different ways, has to walk like I do at six o'clock in the morning. There are long shadows at that time of the day. There is dew on the ground that makes my feet wet. There are patches of mist so I can't see the view clearly. And there is a chill in the air but my face has found the sun. No one chooses to dwell in the shadows by the first light of dawn. So don't do it. The gospel says your light has dawned. I know for people here that will be a struggle. I know, perhaps for all of us at different times in our lives, if we feel that frankly that the sun has not come up. Light of the glory of God in the face of Christ is now displayed. The Lord has risen upon you. We believe God has brought us together to delight in Him. For us as a church, that may mean some practical things, improving our times of uh, praise and worship on Sunday mornings so that our hearts are more easily joined together and lifted up to God is certainly something that we, uh, uh, we need to do. It will be vitally important, but though perhaps we are busy sometimes as a church, that, our, that, it, that corporately God is absolutely centre stage and delighting in God is centre stage for all of us as believers here I think to be honest one of the biggest things that could inhibit our joy together is the painful fact that we here are sinners we here hurt one another sometimes we disappoint one another I have to say it is frighteningly, pain, uh, uh, frighteningly easy for the, the painful elements of, of our life together when we do hurt each other, when the, the power of the, the shadows overcomes us for a while, for that to become the dominant theme. That's why the New Testament talks so much about forgiveness, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Because the Apostles and Jesus were absolutely determined not to let the clouds of our sin obscure the light of God's glory. So for you as an individual and for us as a church together, I want to say to you our, our greatest delight, pleasure, pleasure, And our greatest duty is to find the living God, turn our face to him and delight in him. More than one place in the New Testament where um, the Apostle Paul says to churches that he is working with them for their joy. And I want to pledge that uh, to you this morning, for myself. I want to pledge myself to work hard for your joy. There are many ways that, that I can do that, that we can work together for our joy. We need to pray for one another, we need to encourage one another. But I actually noticed something as I explored the New Testament, how the, how the New Testament uses that that image of light dawning that Isaiah gives us. I noticed that the light is always either Jesus or it's the gospel. Almost always. So I'm going to pledge something to you quite specifically for myself as I commit myself to working for your joy. I want to pledge that I'll do my utmost to teach you what the Bible says. 2 Peter 1 verse 19 says of the message of the New Testament, you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Peter knows that that light doesn't come easily sometimes. It doesn't come instantly. It doesn't come without effort says you'll do well to pay attention to it. To give and sustain effort to trying to understand what the message of the New Testament is. And then he says, the day will dawn. The morning star will rise in your hearts. I will labour for you and with you in that. We can labour together in that. Because that, it seems, is a key that the Holy Spirit uses to bring the dawn of the light of the knowledge of God into our hearts. We believe God has brought us together to delight in Him.